to you. But let's turn to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. We are back in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 18, and this week, we're going to be looking at Paul's time in the city of Ephesus. And we're going to be looking at verses 24, verse 24 of Acts chapter 18, all the way through to verse 10 of Acts chapter 19. All right, I'm going to read and do your best to follow along as I read from God's word. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Archaea, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. Chapter 19, verse 1. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. And he, that is Paul, entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years 
so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Wow. We got a lot to cover this morning. Let's pray and let's get right to it. God, again, thank you for your word. Thank you for the constant reminder that you're not only um, alive and at work, um, but you are gracious enough to involve us in what you're doing. And so, God, as we um, look at you know, Apollos and, and Paul's time in Ephesus, um, God, I pray that you would speak. Um, I pray that you would guide. Um, and I pray that you would empower us by your Holy Spirit to apply and live the life you've called us to live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, yesterday, um, I was talking to some friends of mine, and they are, um, they, they have this, you know, yoga thing going on, and they're really into yoga and mindfulness and, you know, manifesting, and they're into um, connecting um, with nature and really practicing yoga in order to feel peace and security um, and experience um, the being that is God um, to the fullest. Um, and as I was talking to them, I realized one thing that the reason why, or well, one of the main reasons why they practice yoga is to experience something, to experience something in this life um, to the fullest. And then it got me thinking about the whole, you know, the idea of experiencing life to the fullest, all right? Um, recently, I don't know how recent it was, um, there was a trend, um, hashtag YOLO. Um, it was everywhere. And the whole premise of that was you only live once, and what that means is just live life and experience as many things as you can. If you want to skydive, skydive. If you want to engage in multiple relationships, do that. Um, if you want to climb trees, you can do that. Whatever you can do, just you only live life once, so experience it to the fullest. As I thought about that, I also began to think about myself as a Christian and why I exist. Um, and I came to realize this, that we as Christians exist um, to glorify God, as John Piper, John Piper says, by um, being satisfied in him. Um, the whole point of our existence is to not experience life to the fullest. The whole point of our existence is to experience God to the fullest. And so this morning, this is what I want us to do. Um, as I looked at this passage, I realized that there are certain key things and key themes um, that will enable us to experience um, 
God to the fullest. And so the first thing we need in order for us to experience God to the fullest is that, and you'll be surprised by this, is that we must, we need to be teachable. We need to be teachable. Um, last time in Acts, if you remember, it was like two weeks ago, um, we looked at the Apostle Paul's time in the city of Corinth. We discovered that Corinth was kind of the first century version of Las Vegas. Um, there's, there was a lot going on that was immoral, and so Paul finds himself there. And while Paul was in Corinth, he was discouraged. Um, he looked around and saw how great of a need there was in this city, and he was just overwhelmed by how much um, he had to do in order to get the gospel out. And because of this, um, he was overwhelmed, and God, by his grace, visited him through the risen Jesus Christ in a dream in order to encourage him. And then Paul left Corinth and sailed to a city called Ephesus. Um, at the time, Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey, was a great city and the center for trade. Um, N.T. Wright, Thomas Wright, I like to call him, um, who's um, you know, in... A, a, a scholar from England explains that Ephesus was a city full of culture and money and temples and politics and soldiers and merchants and slaves. So Ephesus was a thriving and it was a bustling city. What's interesting is that Paul, even though Ephesus is awesome and it's so strategic in getting the gospel out, Paul didn't spend a long time. Um, in Ephesus. He spent only a few days there because he was eager to get back to Antioch. And if you remember, Antioch is like the headquarters. It was where he was sent out on mission. This wasn't the last time Paul would be in Ephesus. Later, he would return to the city of Ephesus. But until his return, we're introduced to another missionary who arrives in the city of Ephesus to tell people about Jesus. His name is Apollos. What a name. Kind of cool, right? Apollos. Should have named my son Apollos. Would have been cool. So this guy, Apollos, if you've been around Christianity for a while, is one of the most fascinating individuals in the New Testament. And the reason is he would later play an important role in the early development of the churches in Ephesus and Corinth. Look at Acts 18 verse 24 again. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus he was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures, right? In this sentence alone, we find out that Apollos is um, a Jewish Christian from Alexandria. And Alexandria was a port city located in Egypt. Um, Apollos is also described as being eloquent and competent in the scriptures. Later in verse 25... He's described as a man who is fervent in the spirit 
and instructed in the way of the Lord. In other words, um, Apollos was awesome. He, he was an extraordinary talent. He was highly educated and intelligent and he had a vast knowledge of the Bible. And not only that, he was an exceptional communicator. You know, one of those people that just has everything going for them, right? Super gifted, super talented, plus he's got the education. He's got PhDs from Harvard, Cambridge, all the top schools. Just a fantastic individual. But verse 25 also says that even though he was fervent in the spirit and spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, we discover this about him. He knew only the baptism of John. Make a note of that. I underline it, highlight it, circuit, whatever. He knew only the baptism of John. Look at verse 26. He, that is Apollos, began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And so Apollos somehow comes in contact with Priscilla and Aquila. Um, you guys remember them, right? Um, two weeks ago, we looked at them and they were residents of Corinth and they were a power couple basically they owned a tent making business and because Paul the apostle was a tent maker they got they gave him a job and Paul started to work with them and so when Priscilla and Aquila meet Apollos they're obviously impressed with his bible knowledge they're impressed with his oratory skills and enthusiasm and most important importantly they're super impressed with his understanding of who Jesus is. But the longer they listen to Apollos speak, um, the more they realize that even though he's brilliant and knowledgeable, he has blind spots when it came to his beliefs about God and how God works. He had beliefs that needed fine tuning because of this and because of this sorry Priscilla and Aquila took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately and so the question we have to think about now is why did Priscilla and Aquila feel the need to correct Apollos and explain to him the way of God more accurately. This is why. We, we, we saw it earlier. Because Apollos knew only the baptism of John. This means his knowledge of the Christian gospel was deficient in some ways. He didn't know everything. He had an idea of who Jesus was. But Jesus' life and death and resurrection, um, it didn't quite click. He didn't quite understand how it applied to his life. 
The ESV Study Bible explains the situation this way. Apollos knew only the baptism of John. Therefore, Apollos' knowledge of the Christian gospel must have been deficient in some ways, though he taught accurately the things concerning Jesus um, as far as he knew them. He certainly knew about Jesus' life and teachings, but he may not have known about Jesus' death and resurrection or about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And so, um, was limited. And so, Priscilla and Aquila pull him aside and have a private conversation with him and say, hey, mate, you're awesome in so many ways. You know, you're doing well in this area, but you've totally missed it in this area. How did Apollos respond to this correction? With all his talent, with all his eloquence, he was humble enough to receive correction. He didn't argue with them. He didn't make any excuses. Apollos hears them out and makes the necessary changes in his beliefs and teaching. And because of his humility to receive correction, verses 27 and 28 reveal to us how he became a great help to the church how God used him um, to establish and to strengthen the churches in Corinth and Ephesus. Apollos is an example for us in so many ways, but especially when it comes to receiving correction. If you're like me, you don't like to be correct corrected in any way if I was to ask all of you to put up your hand if you loved correction I don't know how many of you would and if you did we would look at you strangely we don't like to be corrected But we need our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need God's word to correct us. And the reason why is we don't know everything. When I was young, walking the streets of London, I thought I knew everything. But the older I get, the more I realize that I have so much to learn. We don't know everything. Only God knows everything and understands all things. We still have a lot to learn, especially when it comes to who God is and how he's involved in the affairs of humankind. A lot of the time we think we've arrived. We read a book or something, or we have an experience, and we're like, yes, I have arrived, and I am now omniscient, and I know everything. 
We don't say it like that, but we function like that. But the truth is, we all have blind spots. Now and throughout our lives, we all have blind spots. I remember growing up as a new believer, um, I, I thought I was it. I knew God and, you know, I got saved and I was passionate uh, about God and especially about the sovereignty of God and the fact that God is, you know, sovereign and he knows everything. And, and because of that understanding of that theology, you know, I thought I had arrived and I didn't need to hear anything. And I went around telling everyone what they didn't know. Um, but I soon came to discover that God's sovereignty, even though it's true, God is in control of everything, um, is way more complex than that when we think about applying it to our lives. Um, Kristen Wetherell, she's an awesome blogger. She says this, Our need for correction is rooted in the fact that we are not God. We do not know all things, nor do we have complete understanding. Yet God, out of his generosity and his kindness to equip believers, has given us his word of truth and his church to correct us. And so King's Cross Church, we want to be a community that receives correction. That is why we go on and on about being in community and connecting with other believers because it's in that context where people that know and love you, people that you trust, can see your blind spots, can see the areas you need to grow in and take you aside privately and say, hey, I'm seeing this in your life. I'm seeing that in your life. And you need to, you know, you're not aligning with God and you need to be thinking about going in this direction. And so King's Cross Church, may we respond in humility when God through his word and through his church corrects our faulty thinking and explains to us the way of God more accurately. And so that's the first one. So we've just seen um, how we can live um, how we can in, experience God to the fullest by being teachable. The second way we can experience God to the fullest is through the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 1 of chapter 19. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And so, like I said earlier, Paul was in Ephesus for a while and now he's returned um, to Ephesus. And while he's there, he comes across a small group of disciples. They are identified um, as just disciples. And so we're not told hear whose disciples they are. We're not sure whether they're disciples of Jesus or disciples of John the Baptist or disciples of whoever was um, a prominent leader at the time. We're not sure. What's interesting is that the more time Paul spends with them, the more he realizes they're probably not disciples of Jesus Christ. Why is that? Um, look at verse 2. It says, And he, that is Paul, said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, 
No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Paul, if you can imagine, is a little rattled by the response. And so he asks a follow-up question. Look at verse 3. And Paul said, Into what then were you baptized? In other words, you, you said you were baptized and you said you don't understand who the Holy Spirit is. Um, then whose disciples are you? Look how they respond at the end of verse 3. They said, into John's baptism. Paul has an aha moment. He realizes that these disciples had been baptized with John's baptism of repentance, but they had not been baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It all makes sense to Paul now. He now understands who they are and what they need. These disciples were saved through Apollos' teaching. But as we discovered earlier, his teaching wasn't complete until Priscilla and Aquila explained to him that John's baptism wasn't what saved a person, but baptism... When John the Baptist baptized people, it actually was an expression of their, their salvation, their newfound faith in Jesus Christ. And so what Paul does next is he explains to them what they need to do to be truly saved and become followers of Jesus. Look at verse 4. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. In other words, John's baptism may have been for repentance, and that is important, but when he baptized people, the whole point, the whole goal of John's baptism was to urge people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. Therefore, okay, Christian baptism, we're going to be having baptisms in, you know, in July sometime. Okay? And whenever you've seen someone get baptized, this is what it's signifying. It symbolizes the believer's union with Christ in his death, burial, resurrection and new life that's what baptism is all about and so after these new christians in ephesus hear about this what do they do they decide to get baptized in the name of the lord jesus christ and after being baptized look at what it says in verse six and when paul had laid his hands on them the holy spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. This particular story in Acts is jam-packed with really complex topics. We could spend hours 
dealing with each one. Um, some of the obvious topics here are, um, you know, the, 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 whole, the, the whole concept or the whole idea of the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? How can someone be filled with the Holy Spirit? What is the role of the Holy Spirit? Another complex topic is um, when someone is saved, how, how does someone receive the Holy Spirit? Do they receive the Holy Spirit um, um, after they're saved at a later time like these people in Acts? Or does a person receive the gift of the Holy Spirit as soon as they're saved? The next complex topic is the idea of speaking in tongues and prophesying. When it came to these, um, these, these gifts, are they for today? Are they still in existence today? Can we still speak in tongues? Can we still prophesy? Um, does, do individuals um, who love Jesus and follow Jesus have the gift of healing? Some believe still exists and others would say these gifts have ceased. They don't exist or they cannot be expressed in the same way as they are in the book of Acts. So much in here. All right? And we could spend many hours on each one. But as I thought, so this is interesting. If you've ever done, if you've ever preached a sermon or ever done a presentation, I think one of the hardest things is choosing what to focus on and what not to focus on. Because there's always so much information. There's always so much to cover. And that is one of my headaches. Every single week when I'm prepping a sermon, I'm thinking, all right, there's so many things we could cover here and talk about. I don't have the time. I don't have five hours to stand here and speak to you guys. I just don't. I have to be prayerful um, in asking God, God, what do you want me to focus on for this Sunday? And so as I thought about what to give our time to this morning, I was drawn to this, to the disciples in Ephesus and how they responded to Paul's question in verse 2. Look at it again. And he, that is Paul, said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said this. This is important. They said this. No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Paul asks a straightforward question about the Holy Spirit. And they're like, wait, who? Who is the Holy Spirit again? What's interesting is this, that if you were to go out um, downtown PB or something or go to the park after the service and ask a random stranger who the Holy Spirit is, how do you think they would respond? 
I say the majority of the people would say, who? What are you talking about? I am spiritual, but the Holy Spirit, who is that? Everyone's heard of Jesus. Everyone has an opinion on who God is. But most people have never heard of the Holy Spirit. And if they have, they probably don't know much about him. They probably have a warped understanding on, of who the Holy Spirit is. But what's even more interesting is that the Holy Spirit is a bit of a mystery not only for non-Christians, but I would argue that for us Christians, the Holy Spirit is a bit of a mystery as well. For many Christians, for many of us, the Holy Spirit has seemed like an afterthought. We're all about Jesus, yeah? We love Jesus. We talk much about Jesus. And yeah, we should. We talk much about God, okay? God the Father. When we pray, it's, you know, God, Father. And when we pray, we also pray to Jesus. And, but when it comes to the Holy Spirit, he's a bit of a mystery to us. We don't engage and interact with him much. And when we think about him, he seems like a vague supernatural force or something just weird and strange. Most of us, as professing Christians, functionally speaking, are no different to the disciples in Ephesus. When we think about the Holy Spirit, and when we're asked about who the Holy Spirit is, we're like, wait a minute, um, oh, actually, who, who is the Holy Spirit? And I'm talking about our circles, all right? I grew up um, in the Pentecostal church, in the African Pentecostal church, okay? And when we were huge on the Holy Spirit, and there was much talk about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit works and how the Holy Spirit impacts our life. But it seemed like in kind of like our Christian circles, like the Reformed kind of evangelical, there's not much talk or much information. Oh no, there's a lot of information, but there's not much interaction about the Holy Spirit. And because of this, I would also argue we don't have much of a relationship with him. Most of us know he's there, but we're just not sure what he does or how to interact with him. J.D. Guerra, he's a pastor in, I think, North Carolina. Did I get that right? There's North and South Carolina, right? North Carolina. He says this, many Christians might well be might, might well still be in the same place as the disciples in Ephesus, functionally speaking. Though they have heard of the Holy Spirit in a doctrinal sense, they have no real interaction with or dependence on him. Functionally, 
they live in ways unaware that there is a living, moving, holy spirit. These Christians have all but exist have all but ex excised the Holy Spirit. It should be to be exercised or what? Exercised. Excised <laughs> the Holy Spirit from the Trinity. Instead, they believe, functionally speaking, in Father, Son, and Holy Bible. Put simply, most of us believe the Holy Spirit exists, but we live as though he doesn't. But in the Bible, the Holy Spirit is not a vague thought, but the Bible describes the Holy Spirit as a person you can actually know. He isn't an optional extra. He's front and center. And the truth is he wasn't a recent invention by the church that the church came up with. No, the Holy Spirit has been around, third person of the Trinity has been around from the very beginning. And if you don't believe me, look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Okay, I'm going to read it to you. Just close your eyes and listen and look out for the Holy Spirit. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And here we go. Listen to this. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. He's not a recent idea. He's not a recent invention. He was there from the very beginning. And it was through him, okay, through him that the world was made from Genesis to Revelation. If you read the whole Bible, I dare you this week to read the whole Bible. Could you do that? No? Is that too much of a challenge? Try it. Read the whole Bible and get like a, a, a yellow highlighter or something and highlight every time you see the Holy Spirit, okay? Or the Spirit or God's Spirit. And you're going to have a Bible, if you bought a new Bible and it was fresh, you're going to have a new Bible full of highlights, yellow highlights, because He is everywhere and throughout the whole of Scripture, He is present and active in the lives of God's people. In fact, we've been studying the book of Acts. And you may have noticed how much the Holy Spirit shows up. He shows up, and let me get you the stats, yeah? 59 times in Acts, more than twice per chapter, and in nearly 40 of those times, he is speaking, okay? Um, this is why... Many New Testament scholars talk about how the book of Acts probably has the wrong title. Rather than the Acts of the Apostles, they're like, these scholars are like, man, it should have been the Acts of the Holy Spirit. 
They say this because if you speed through Acts, you'll realize that the Holy Spirit is the primary actor, okay? He's the one who guides and speaks to the disciples. He's involved every step of the way. They have a real and ongoing relationship with the Holy Spirit. If you're new to our church or if you're new to church, welcome. I know most of what we're talking about is like, oh my gosh, Holy Spirit, is he a ghost? What is it? If you have more questions and you want to know more, I would be happy to sit with you and answer any questions you have. But I gotta get back to this, all right? Let's go. And so the Holy Spirit has an ongoing relationship with God's disciples, with Jesus' disciples in Acts. And so my question to you this morning is, do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like the Holy Spirit is someone you know about more than, um, someone you know about more than someone you know? Is he more of a doctrine to you than a person? Does God's spirit feel truly present in your life? Do you interact with him personally? Do you read the book of Acts? Okay, as we've been studying the book of Acts, do you say that's similar to my experience? Or does the world of Acts seem like a completely different one than the one you live in? Is Christianity to you more of a set, a set of beliefs that you have to adhere to and the lifestyle you have to live by or is it a dynamic relationship in which you walk with the spirit and move in his power? J.D. Greer again says this, the Holy Spirit may tend to be the forgotten member of the Trinity, but something was so important about the Holy Spirit that Jesus told his disciples it was to their advantage that he would go away. If his departure meant the Spirit came. Listen to this. When Jesus was with his disciples, if you remember, he says, it's better than I leave you. <laughs> because when I leave you, it's when the Holy Spirit will come. In other words, I love how J.D. Guerrero puts it. He says, the Spirit's presence inside of you is better than Jesus beside you. The Spirit's presence inside of us as Christians. Jesus was saying would be better than him being beside us. Lots in there, right? Our very own author, Nikki Romani. Uh, she wrote this book about the Holy Spirit. Uh, I haven't read all of it yet, but my wife has. Um, and basically the book um, 
is titled A God You've Never Met. And in that book, it's like her journal. She talks about how she was inspired to grow in her relationship with the Holy Spirit after reading and hearing stories of how his powerful acts um, in people's acts just transform in people's lives just transformed them. And um, through Nikki's desire um, to learn more about the Holy Spirit, she actually encountered him encountered him more uh, in ways that she had never dreamed of. And so, as a church family, this is my challenge to you. We want to look at the example of people like Nikki and so many other examples and think, man, if you're here and you don't really have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, you can. And you have an opportunity to experience God in the most realest way through his spirit. You really do. And so let me encourage you um, in the coming weeks, months, throughout your life, just read books <laughs> about the Holy Spirit. I'll recommend some books to you guys. And begin to seek a real and legit relationship with the Holy Spirit. And when you do, you will encounter him in ways you never dreamed you would. So, this is what we've seen so far. To um, experience God to the fullest, um, we need to be teachable, and we need the Holy Spirit to grow. The last thing we need in order to experience God to the fullest is um, we need to persevere. We need to persevere. And so, an incredible miracle has happened. Um, Paul spends the next three months in Ephesus. He's teaching about Jesus in the synagogues. And like in previous cities, he experiences opposition. Um, verse 9 says, His opponents became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation. And so rather than Paul fighting it and argue with them, what does he do? He just moves on. And the last part of verse 9 says, He withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. Look at verse 10. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And so Paul spent two years teaching daily about Jesus in Ephesus. And Paul's message spread and soon, it just talks about how all the residents of Asia, right, heard about the Lord Jesus Christ. And this was all because of Paul's faithfulness. He was faithful to not just stay in Ephesus for a few months. He was faithful to keep going and persevering. And so as a church family on mission with Jesus, we have a unique opportunity to experience God to the fullest 
And in order for us to do that, we need to be teachable. And in order for us to do that, we need to have a real and legit relationship with the Holy Spirit. And when we do, I believe we will see God move powerfully. We will see him do more than we can ask or imagine. We will experience God to the fullest. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this morning. Um, always a lot more to be said, but God, I pray that you would enable us to walk in humility. God, I pray that you would allow us to experience an authentic relationship with your spirit. I know it's so complex how it all works. And there's so many views, so many opinions. But God, I pray that all of us in the coming weeks would pursue a relationship with your spirit. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would become more of a reality in all of our lives as we do. We want to live for you to the fullest. We do. And thank you for giving us everything we need in order for us to do this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.